All right, church, would you stand with us as we declare this morning that there is joy in the house of the Lord, not just in this building, but in our hearts, not dependent on any circumstances, but knowing that the Lord has everything in control. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be.
Let's declare and remember and have full confidence that he can do mighty things. There's a name that levels mountains, carves out highways through the sea. I've seen the power of bows right in front of me. Yes, we've seen you work, we've seen you move. There's a faith that stands defied. Sends Goliath to its knees. I've seen his praise unravel shadows right off my feet. It's got break free this Provide that freedom. And that's the power of your name. Just the mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break. And there is healing.
awesome. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is Jacob Salas, and I'm the middle school pastor here. We would like to welcome Nancy and Rick on our stage. Nancy and Rick represent Inheritance International Ministries. Rick is Julie Laubacher's brother and longtime member of the work in Eswatini, Africa. Despite his disdain for flying, um, last year in October, Rick completed his 100th trip to Africa. Amen. And Nancy, she's been a part of the work in Eswatini for many years now, originally serving in a church that sends mission trips in Eswatini until the Lord prompted her to go in with the transformative work of Inheritance International Ministries. Now, Rick and Nancy, um, if the people here are, are anything like me, they probably don't know anything about Eswatini. Probably so, not. <laughs> so why don't you share a little bit of uh, about the country of Eswatini? Sure, happy to. First of all, thank you for having us. It's a thrill, a, a real honor to be here with you today in Camarillo. This is my, my home neighborhood, so it's great to be home. Uh, Eswatini, if you don't know that name, I can't be uh, surprised at all. Up until seven years ago, the country was actually named Swaziland. And although I'm sure you haven't heard of that either, it's a small country about the size of New Jersey, just a little bit smaller than New Jersey. It's surrounded on three sides by South Africa and on the east by Mozambique. So if you can kind of picture where that is, uh, it's a long ways away. So uh, Eswatini, uh, the, king, the king changed the name seven years ago. That's why the name has changed. When you're, when you're king, you can do that kind of stuff. You can just change the name of the country. Well, awesome. Now, my understanding is that you guys own an entire mining town named Bulembu. Can you explain to me what kind of work goes on in Bulembu? Sure, I'd be happy to. Back in 2006, a group of us were lucky enough to find an asset in Swaziland, or Eswatini as it's called now, I'm still stuck on the old name here, uh, that uh, was a mining, a mining town. The mine closed down in 2001 and we came in and bought the assets. 4,400 acres of land, big piece of property, uh, lots of improvements. It was actually a British mining town. And so we purchased this town to develop a, 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 a Christian-based community. Uh, uh, orphan care uh, and uh, Christian businesses, uh, Christian education, uh, HIV eradication, uh, and uh, th these are the these are the goals. The, the businesses were designed to help generate profits to help support the social side of the city, and and so uh, it's a it's a big project, and and we've been pretty successful there. You know, it's my understanding, Rick, that you guys have a discipleship bent to your ministry. As a matter of fact, we are going to partner with GDI and do something special in Eswatini with you guys. And it's my understanding that you guys have these things called ICBC sites. And I was wondering if you can explain exactly what that is. Well, I'll, I'll give you the, the short version. A lot of uh, alphabet soup here. ICBCs means raising OVCs. OVCs is the official name uh, that uh, worldwide that we refer to orphan children. That's orphaned and vulnerable children, OVCs. That's what we refer to them. And the United Nations and the World Health Organization now is really pushing for organizations like ours to do all we can to raise children or help children be raised in their community. So ICBC means in community by community. Uh, and so instead of having one central location and, and doing childcare in a city or a town like Malimbu, we are going out into all different parts of the country of Eswatini and developing these satellites so that we can care for these children in the community that they were born in and by, and by the community that they were born in. And so we're able to multiply our service by instead of four or 500 children at a time, 
we're being able to care for two or three thousand children at a time and we're expanding very quickly from there well if you guys haven't if you guys don't know or haven't guessed by now um we as a church here in camarillo are wanting to support eswatini by actually going to there and supporting the ministry that you guys do there now if somebody here were to go on us with this uh go with us on this mission trip what sort of work might they expect to do out there um, well, first of all, I think that work is a portion of the trip, but it's not the best part of the trip. So you will work, and I think we all think of mission trips as being, oh, I'm going to go there and help them. But I was thinking about this morning, and I thought, every time that I've been there, which I'm going on my fifth trip coming up here in June, I come back changed. So if you have any inkling that you feel like God wants to grow you a little bit, um, I've been a Christian all my life and I, I really started growing on a mission trip and you go there and you see the most beautiful children, even in the most impoverished places, um, even in Balimbu where they're so well cared for, they have so much joy and you just come back changed and you come back saying, how can I bring that back here? And so I think just going, if you feel God is prompting you to go, um, it'll change your life. I'm not trying to just sell it. It really, it happened to me. I've been around the world on different mission trips and um, this one just has a really special place. I call Balimbu the most peaceful place on earth. And just to go work with the kids, hug the kids, play soccer with the kids. Um, yes, you do a little bit of work, but it's great because you're working alongside the children too. So it's, it's the best. I hope we get to talk to you. And if you want to stop by afterwards and talk to us more, we'd be happy to. Thank you. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Nancy and Rick, for coming out. Uh, please direct your attention to the screens as we show a short video concerning Eswatini. What if I told you that the past doesn't have to define the future? That the sun wasn't the only thing rising over the mountains and plains of a small African nation? What if I told you that there was a generation rising to redefine the narrative of family brokenness, poverty, and the orphan crisis? And what if I told you that there is an organization standing at the center of it all? That in this small country, there is hope to be found. That truly, the best is yet to come. <laughs> 25 years ago, here in Eswatini, we knew there was a problem. We didn't respond as experts just willing people, loving people, trying to help them to see what's ahead of them. When you're faithful with a little, God can do more than you can ask, think, or dream of. Starting with one child, helping one person. Reconnection. That is the point of it all. We're going after the root cause of the orphan crisis in Eswatini to help communities be healthier and stronger and to reintegrate them with their children. If we don't help communities get stronger, we will continue to perpetuate the underlying issues in this country. We are committed to focus on one community and one child at a time. Here's how we're doing it. In the next three years, our goal is to have 60 ICBC community sites, in community by community sites. Additionally, 
We are choosing to relocate our hub to a more central location. Where is that? Shiloh Estate. Shiloh Estate is a beautiful piece of land located four kilometers from the capital city of Ibaban. This move will give us more land to be more intentional in our mission to support the development of one community at a time. It will also give us the space to continue to develop children into future leaders in their communities, one child at a time. The best is yet to come. Can you sense it? It's in the laughter of a classroom, the embrace of a family that's been reunited, the tears of a grandmother who gets to finally see her granddaughter for the very first time. It's in the joy of the young men and women who get to take their rightful places in society, knowing who they were born to be, overcomers. Can you feel it? We get to be a part of rebuilding families, strengthening communities, and transforming a nation. And we want you to be involved, not just because we need you and we can't do it without you, but because we pray that you would be made better through it too. Together, we get to disciple people, strengthen families, rebuild communities, and transform a nation. And that's something to be excited about.
starting in eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.
Good morning. Welcome to Camriel Community Church. Yes, I am wearing black. It is a day of mourning. Extreme mourning around here. And uh, I have to say, uh, for those of you guys who may be new to us, I'm an extreme San Francisco 49er fan. There are way too many of you in here and in this church who enjoy seeing their pastor suffer. I'm going to say that right now. It's not right. It's wrong. It's immoral. It makes the baby Jesus cry. And as they say, you know, there's always next year. Um, The elders refused to give me a sabbatical after the loss. And so here I am in black, in living color for you. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to our church. Uh, If you're online this morning, welcome. Uh, If you're outside for some reason, welcome. If you're watching it during the middle of the week because you don't want to miss out on where we are in our series, welcome to you as well. My name is David Hurtado, the lead pastor here, and we're so excited that you're joining with us. We are believing this month, uh, as we celebrate what we're calling the Month of Missions, Uh, We're believing that God wants to send you somewhere across this country or this world. Uh, That God is sending you, whether it's locally to be a missionary where you're at, or abroad even, and maybe even in Africa. I know some people are feeling the call to go for us, uh, to represent us in Africa and be a part of this wonderful, wonderful mission that we just described today in our services our gathering together, and so we would love for you to go. Either it's Mexico, Africa, or uh, Romania. We believe that God may be calling you to go, if not this year, maybe next year, and uh, we're excited for that as we're celebrating that this month and looking forward to that. Maybe God's caught his hand on you and called you to go for us as well. In addition to that, we want to remember our mission right in our own neighborhoods, our families and our friends and our coworkers, every area of a sphere of influence that you may have. We have a rally cry this year that we're calling the plus one rally cry. When you leave today, if you haven't seen it yet, on the right-hand side of the lobby, there's a big plus one sign. And there are markers there for you to be able to go there and write your plus one on the wall. Now, you might write their first name, certainly don't write their entire name. You might not write their name. You might write my hairdresser or my gardener or, or the, the, the check stand person at the store. Whatever it might be, you write that on there that you're praying for them and asking God to allow you to have like an intentional moment where you could invite them to church. Once you invite your plus one, we're asking you to go back to that wall and check mark after their name. Uh, or the name that represents them, and and saying, I've invited them to church. And if they go to church with you, we want you to go back to the wall again and behind the checkmark sign, put a plus sign, meaning that they have come with you. Now, we know this is happening all over the place because you guys are introducing us to your plus ones, which is pretty awesome. Pastor, Pastor, I want to introduce you to my plus one. And it's so neat to be able to put a face behind the name and see that God's moving. Now, I want to remind you, we have a goal this year. We want to see... 500 names on the wall. Uh, that's just people going up and saying, I'm going to be intentional about praying for this person to see if they come to our church. We want to see 300 of them be invited. They don't even have to step on our campus, and we've already won if we invite 300 times. And then lastly, we want to see 100 pluses behind the check marks, meaning 100 people came because of those invitations. So I want to unleash you and remind you to continue thinking about and praying about your plus ones right here locally in our community. We're coming on that season of Easter. They say that's the, the most uh, you know, accepting time, uh, Christmas and Easter, when somebody might go to church with you. Would you consider those plus ones and whether or not you might have an opportunity to invite them to something that we're doing in this season. We would love to see you do that. 
Can you do that? That would be absolute. Make sure you go to the wall and put it on the wall too, because we are tracking, we are counting. Uh, secondly, if you've already had a plus one, invited them, and they came, you're like, what do I do now? Guess what? Do another plus one. <laughs> Find another person, put their name on the wall, and uh, do the same thing again. We would love to see that continue to happen, especially during this Easter season. Well, that being said, let's dive in. They say that Robin Hood was a folklore hero because he fought the injustices of the rich against the poor. How would he do this? Well, he had a bow and an arrow and, and his merry men, and he stole from the rich and then gave to the poor. It's interesting, there's two sides of that coin. In one sense, he was either a, a heroic philanthropist, or you could view it on the other side of the coin, which is he's a serial perpetrator of grand theft. So which one is it? Which one is it? They say that Pablo Escobar was the most powerful drug trafficker of the 1980s and 1990s. The leader of the Medellin cartel in Colombia was dubbed as the king of cocaine, became one of the wealthiest people in the world, amassing by the time he had been captured or killed $30 billion at the time of his death. A 2022 equivalent would be $70 billion. Estimated at the height of his uh, organization, he was making $100 million a day. There is nearly a billion dollar of diamonds missing from his fortunes right now, considered to be somewhere hidden in Colombia right now. He had a billion dollars of jewelry that he hid away. Colombian drug cartels exported somewhere between 500 and 800 tons of cocaine a year. What's less known about Pablo Escobar, though, is what he did for the poor. Did you know? Coming from a poor family himself, a poor farmer and a school teacher, he spent millions of dollars in the poorest neighborhoods of Medellin. He built housing complex, parks, soccer stadiums, hospitals, schools, and even churches. He makes sure that every child had a soccer uniform so they could play soccer throughout their whole life. He'd make sure that there were light posts on the soccer field so they can play into the night. The national team of the 1990s that was considered to be the best team in the world was supposed to win the World Cup um, through some complexities didn't do that. He had known them since they were children. Basically raised them up, raised the national team up as he paid for their every expense until they were into adulthood. In one sense, he was an extraordinary philanthropist. In another sense, he was a murderous narco-terrorist. So which is it? Which is it? The answer to that question on both accounts is yes. Robin Hood was both a serial perpetual, uh, perpetrator of grand theft and he was also a philanthropist. Pablo Escobar was both a narco-terrorist and yet a man who did much good for his local community. Isn't it astonishing how complicated the human heart is? How we can do good on one hand and then on the other hand we can go into negativity, even atrocity. Isn't it interesting, astonishing, striking at how complicated the human heart really is? 
This morning we're gonna go into and explore the state of the human heart in an in-depth way, and I think you'll find that complicated is an understatement. How is it that we can bless God and curse God with the same mouth? Why do we have times of extreme allegiance to God only to be followed up what times of extreme rebelliousness towards God? How do we make sense of the dichotomy that is our heart? The dichotomy in our heart. For that, we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I encourage you to open your Bible right now. If you brought your Bible, hold it up in the air. You're wanting to say, this is above me, I'm below it. I'm gonna let the word of God saturate my soul, my heart, and let it change me from the inside out. Go to chapter 25. We'll look at verses 36 to 44 today. Uh, That's verses 36 to 44, short passage today, ending our kind of narrative within the narrative in chapter 25. Uh, Chapter 25, verses 36 to 44. If you weren't here the last couple weeks, let me just set the stage for you a little bit so you understand exactly where we're at. There's this weird story within the story going on. I mean, 1 Samuel is all about King Saul and how he messed up, and then now there's King David. He's anointed, but he's not king yet. Saul wants to kill David because as soon as he becomes king, I'm no longer king, so he's going after him. And there's this whole battle between the kings and God's will, all right? And then out of nowhere, we're in chapter 25, there's this guy named Nabal. His name means fool because he is a fool. He acts foolish all the time sends his farmers to, to, and all of his cattle or all of his livestock right next to David, knowing that David and his 600-man army will defend against anything, whether it's other warlords coming and trying to steal the, the cattle or whether it's you know, beasts of the field. And, and basically, because he has him such in close proximity to David, that whole cattle or his whole farm makes it to shearing time. Shearing time is a celebrated season where you, you take your, it's almost like harvest time, but with animals. Like this is where your, your efforts for the last year have uh, turned into resources. Well, David goes up to Nabal and says, hey, listen, I provided you a service. I protected your animals. I didn't take any of them. And so would you consider giving me a piece of the pie once you go to shear these animals and you get the money and the resources from them? And Nabal says, no. I didn't make that arrangement with you. Uh, I'm a super shrewd businessman, and so I want to get that service for free. David gets upset, says, you know what? I'm going to kill every man in that household, including Nabal. And then Nabal's wife says, let me run interference, which we saw last week. She runs to David and goes, here, it's all the resources you want, (laughs) everything that you need and more, right? And David decides, you know what? It would be, she's right, it would be wrong for me to kill people because of this, and so I'll let God handle it from there. And that's where we pick up the story today in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 36 to 44. The overarching question is, how is it that the inner state of the human heart is so complicated? How is it that the inner state of the human heart is so complicated? Well, in one sense, as we're gonna see, we can wait on God and glorify him with results. That's, that's the one side of the coin, and then later we'll get to the other side of the coin in the other sense, but right now, how is it the inner, the, the, that the inner state of the heart is so complicated? Well, in one sense, we can wait on God, glorify him with the resort. We can do everything right. In one sense, we do exactly what we're supposed to do, and everything is right. Let's look at this in verses 36 through 39. It says this, And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was having a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was Mary within him, for he was very drunk, so she told him nothing at all until morning light. Remember, she 
went against, didn't, didn't ask her husband for permission to go, and now she's gonna go report back to him, but he's too drunk for him to hear it. And so in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. And he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Who is it that struck him? About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Verse 39, and when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant, meaning David, from doing wrongdoing. She was right. Had I killed him, it would have been wrong. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Let's stop there. How is it that the inner state of the human heart is so complicated? Well, in one sense, we can wait on God, which is what David did, prayerfully wait, allow God to be in control, glorify him with the results. Finds out Nabal's dead, he praises God, bless me God. Hey, you handle it, everything handled, it was exactly the way it should happen. I didn't take the law in my own hands, I didn't kill him and every man in his household. That would have been murderous and evil and wrong and and, and, and too angry for the situation. I stepped back, I let God do his thing, and he took him out. Well, Abigail finally decides she's gonna tell her husband of her involvement with David, and that leads to some kind of a, a health condition, maybe a heart attack, where he dies. Abigail sees Nabal at, at, at this party that's fit for a king, and he's drunk. So she decides to wait till the next morning when he's sober, to give uh, a report on her interaction with David. Now, there, there'd be uh, very customary to have um, uh, kind of celebration parties or festival-type parties during shearing season. It was, it was a celebration of wealth. Look, we made it. Uh, our cattle made it. We, we, you know, we, 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 we were now selling whatever we, we produced, and so now we have resources, so let's have a party and enjoy the resources that we have. More evidence that um, since this party is described as being fit for a king, that Nabal had, Nabal had more than enough money to give David his portion of whatever it is that he was earning. But in his greed, he wouldn't let him do it. After she tells him, uh, Nabal dies. There's some kind of debate, uh, there's a little bit of a debate as to whether he died of a heart attack or maybe had a stroke that led to a coma, and that's why the 10 days later he passed away. Uh, something happens to him and he dies. I believe he died of a heart attack after his wife told him how much he gave to she gave to David. What? You gave him that much? Ah, type of thing. That's what I think happened, right? The Bible describes him as having a heart of stone, which could be an allusion to the Goliath narrative. Another adversary falls miraculously at David's feet. Now this is a very interesting story. In fact, all of 25, chapter 25 is very interesting because it doesn't seem to fit the rest of the narrative. It's David and Saul, David and Saul, Saul, David. The rising up of one leader, the coming down of another leader. What does Nabal have to do with any of it? And there's actually many people that believe that Nabal serves as kind of like an alter ego to Saul in the narrative. Just as Nabal fell, so will Saul fall. And if you track the similarities or the analogy between the two folks, the parallels, you can see how this would work. 
Both are powerful individuals. Both come from wealthy families. Both benefited from David's actions. Both acted in hostility towards David. Both had female clan members married to David. We'll see that later on in this chapter uh, with Abigail. And both had their lives spared by David. And yet both come under God's judgment. Nabal serves almost like a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Saul. They mirror each other in many ways. And the author is trying to point to the obvious that's coming our direction. That is that God took out Nabal in his judgment. And he will take out Saul in his judgment as well. So many ironies in this storyline, this little small story within a story. A party fit for a king, yet the soon incoming king wasn't invited. A party fit for a king, but his own wife has declared allegiance to another king. A carefree party for Nabal when his life was in imminent danger. A wife's quick wit could rescue Nabal from the hand of David, but could not rescue him from the hand of God. So many ironies in this storyline. Well, Abigail goes to her husband, declares what she did in order to spare every man and his life as well in their family. Something happens of a medical kind of a reset and Nabal dies. David's response to this is to appropriately bless God. Wow, I did everything like I was supposed to do it and God came through for me just like he's supposed to. I mean, I could have got mad, I could have killed him, that would have been wrong, I didn't do that, I repented of that, I followed the advice of a woman, which is unheard of in that time, and look, God blessed me, he avenged this wrong towards me, and took Nabal out. God avenges the wrongs of his adversary. He did the right way, and God came through accordingly, and then he praises God for it. Listen, we're on cloud nine in this story right now. Cloud nine, everything is just like, it's picture perfect, right? It's like going to church and saying Jesus when somebody asks a question, you know, at, at Sunday school. It's the right answer. Everything's perfect here. I trusted God, I didn't take the law in my own hands, I didn't get angry. God came through, cloud nine, everything goes as it's supposed to. Everything's very God-honoring. That is until it isn't. How is it that the inner state of the human heart is so complicated? Well, in one sense, we can, we can you know, uh, wait on God, glorify him with results, bless him for everything else. And then in another sense, as we're going to see, we can undo all of that with our rebellious hearts, with the actions of our rebellious heart. In one sense, we can go all right. In another sense, we can undo all of it with our rebellious hearts the notions of a rebellious heart, the actions of a rebellious heart. I want you to see this starting in verse 39, second half of it. It's on the screen for you. It says this, Then David sent and spoke to Abigail, that's Nabal's wife, to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord, speaking of David. 
And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, her and her five young women, her attendants, who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became David's wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. That might be something you would circle, highlight, underline, somehow, Mark. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, to David, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. Stop there. How is it that the inner state of a human heart is so complicated? Well, in one sense, we can do the right thing. In another sense, we can undo that right thing with the rebellious actions of our hearts. David takes on Abigail as his wife. Now, you remember this interaction. By the way, when God takes him out, remember me, because I'll have nothing. Remember, that's how she approaches David. And God certainly does take her husband out. And now David is remembering her. And he comes in almost like a Kingsman Redeemer, so to speak. It's a Kingsman Redeemer type action where David takes on responsibility over her. Under normal circumstances, an adult male who is most um, closely related to the deceased brother or man in the family would fill this role. We see something like this in the book of Ruth, uh, chapter four, if you wanna read the book of Ruth, it's an incredible story. Uh, It was a way that uh, God made sure that if your husband died, that you weren't left to die yourself, that there'd be somebody to take uh, responsibility over you, and and really also um, provide you children in the name of your brother, maybe, so that that name would continue to flourish on, the legacy would still be there. It was called being a king's redeemer, and, and it seems like David is taking that role with Abigail. Uh, We know that marriage contracts, in addition to this, in ancient Near East times, were very common as well. Uh, We see this all over the place in ancient literature. Uh, These marriage contracts kind of served as a ratification of political alliances um, between countries. Uh, You are uh, the head or king of your country. I am the head and king of my country. Let's not have beef with each other. Let's come to a a treaty of peace. And what would um, symbolize that treaty or or what would ratify that treaty would be, I'm going to marry your daughter. And now, if you do anything against my country, I guess I could kill your daughter. You're not going to want that. I'm married to her. She's not my wife. And so you can imagine this is how in ancient times you would have multiple, multiple wives. And the multiple wives actually represented uh, several foreign wives would increase power and stability in a region. If I have 10 wives and I've made treaties with 10 different regions providing power, authority, wealth, and stability. There's no war between the, the two countries. And so this is actually rather commonplace in ancient times. And in this case, David would be actually receiving a lot because we know that Nabal was rich. In fact, when when Nabal's wife Abigail goes to be with David as his wife, she goes with four servants. Did you see that? Four servants went with her. Why does she have four servants? Because she's rich. And so here David would be receiving not only uh, uh, strengthen his political position, but he would be strengthening his economic position by taking on Abigail as his wife. 
Abigail's response is rather astounding. She volunteers to go and says not only that, she throws herself on the ground, bows at the feet of the servants who are coming to get her, and she says, how about this, I'll go and I'll be the person who washes the feet of the servants of my Lord. I'll be the person, there's servants there for David, I'll wash their feet, I'll be below them. I'll take a, a rung below. Which is pretty amazing considering that she's a pretty wealthy lady who has her own servants. But she still says in all humility, I wanna come at the bottom, of the bottom of the bottom tier. I'll wash the feet of the servants. Didn't ask for special treatment. In fact, she did the opposite. She demonstrates herself as a willing heart to be a slave of all. Just a beautiful picture. What an amazing woman, a great, great um, hero of the Old Testament is Abigail. Well, this is all great and fine until we realize that David's already married. Like it's the elephant in the room. In fact, I want you to imagine like a, a five-ton elephant in the room right now. Here we are at church on Sunday, and everybody's thinking to themselves, what's the elephant doing in the room? You can't miss it. That's what's going on in our text. Like, wait a second, that's great that you're the king's redeemer, that's great all this stuff, but you're already married. Like you're already married. He was married to Saul's daughter, Michal, but she was given to Patil to spite David. This was an action that Saul did, uh, in essence saying, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna take you away, I'm gonna force a divorce here, I'm gonna give you to another man, and that way David doesn't have any uh, legal right to the throne. And so in that sense, you can go, well, there's a divorce there. It was really kind of a backhanded slap so there'd be no claim to the throne for David. But we see in this passage in verse 43 that he takes on another wife named Ahimoam. Ahinoam is what I'm gonna say. That's how you say her name. <laughs> and, uh, and we know that he married her first. We make the conjecture that he married her first because we find out later that, that she births his oldest son. So it's very likely that he's already been married to her before he marries Abigail. So maybe you give him a pass on the whole Macal thing. Well, you know, Saul, you know, his shenanigans, you know, um, forces divorce there, so he's good. Yeah, but he's already still married. He's married this other woman, and now he's taken on Abigail as well. The text actually said both of them become his wives. Well, what's the problem with that anyway? Like, what's the big deal? Every king in the ancient Near East was taking on multiple wives, harems. In fact, David would go on to do this more. In fact, in 2 Samuel, he gets his first wife back. He gets Michal back. He just adds wives to the fold. Everybody was doing this, and it really represented peace. When I take on that wife, there's peace between these countries. When I take on that wife, there's peace between these countries. There's authority, there, there, there's, there's regional stability. What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you the big deal is, in Deuteronomy 17, 17, there are very specific and explicit rules for the king of Israel. You are not to be like the other kings, and you are not to take on many wives like they do. Don't do it. Why was God so concerned about that? You see, 
I can rely on God to bring peace and stability to the region, or I can rely on myself to bring peace and stability to the region. I can rely on God to be my protection against these other foreign entities, or I can give my wife in marriage to somebody else and maybe we can have peace. And what, what, what it was was, hey, I want you to rely on me, not yourself and your own resources. You rely on me. You do things differently than the other kings of the world. But this is the beginning of David's own failures that would lead to other failures in his kingdom. This was like the opening of the door towards doing things in ways that God would not have you do it. And the, the, the thing that's so astounding about it, at the beginning he does everything right. Like everything is right. And yet, not two verses later, he's undoing all of that with the rebellious heart and action of not doing what God wants him to do. Well, that brings us to the big idea. Uh, the challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. The challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. You know, somewhere in the world, uh, Christians got this label like we're perfect. We're not perfect. <laughs> so clearly, we can't find a leader in the Bible who's perfect besides Jesus Christ. And even our gospel is that he gives us his perfection. Not that we're perfect. We try to emulate that perfection, be holy as he is holy. We strive for that, but we are so clearly not perfect. We are, the challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. We're trying to measure up to this holiness of God that we will never measure up to on our own. That's why God has to give it to us. Place righteousness on your account, not that you can ever get there yourself. First John chapter one says that if you say you're without sin, you, will, you are a liar. You will always deal with this sin principle inside yourself. When we have the spirit of God living in us as believers, we now have the ability to overcome more than we ever did before. But it doesn't mean that it eradicates itself completely. It's like a terminal disease that's no longer terminal, but we still keep the disease. Until we see God face to face, we will always deal with this thing called sin. And so the challenge for the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. Uh, I, man, I messed up yesterday, but today I'm trying to get back on the horse and go again. I, I fell off my bike, but I'm getting back on, and, and this time I'm gonna ride two miles without falling off. Maybe it's 2.2 miles. And, and, and yes, there'll be times where the hiccups will be there, but I'm consistently trying to make headway towards consistency, even though I know that that consistency is gonna be marred by the sin that I have in my life. The challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. So which is it, David? Are you the stone-slinging, faith-believing servant of God who doesn't see giants? The guy who won't lift a finger against the Lord's anointed or, or who repents before committing atrocities like vengeful murder? Or are you the polygamous, adulterous human being that covers up your sinful, wandering eye with murder? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes. He is the stone-slaying, faith-believing servant of God who doesn't see giants, who doesn't lift a finger against the Lord's anointed and repents before he commits horrible atrocities like vengeful murder. And he also is the polygamous, adulterous human being who covers up his sinful work our sinful wandering eye with murder, as we're gonna see later in the story with Bathsheba and Uriah. 
The answer to the question is yes, he's both. He's two sides of the coin. And if you and I could have a moment of complete transparency and vulnerability, you might admit that you know exactly how that is. Because inside ourselves, we too struggle with two sides of the same coin. The challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency even though our hearts are polarized. I think of those like 1980 sitcoms where you have the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder and they're debating each other trying to influence you on where to go and everybody goes like, know exactly what that feels like because we all wrestle with that internally as well. The challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency even though we trip ourselves up along the way. Well, let's talk about some ways that we can find consistency in our lives in a practical everyday nature. Um, We live uh, today in a day and age where our role models continue to fail us, whether it's the morality of our politicians, our talk show hosts, our movie stars, our news anchors, even celebrity pastors. And yet we're shocked when it happens, even though it happens over and over and over again. It seems very consistent. The human condition is one where our hearts can deceive us. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? Desperately sick, who can understand it? We live in a world that says follow your heart. Be careful when you follow your heart. Listen to me. Be careful when you follow your heart. The word of God says it's deceitful above all things. Desperately sick, who can understand it? Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter seven. In fact, we'll put it on the screen real quick. I want you to see this. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I, don't, what, what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it, no longer, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know the thing, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can anybody relate to this? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. There is a polarization inside of our hearts. That's why the challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency. What if every day we looked at every day as a opportunity to take one step towards consistency might look differently for everybody in the room but what if every day the focus of the day was how do I take one step towards consistency in my walk with God for some it might look like coming to church more regularly like placing yourself in a context where you can take the Word of God put yourself underneath it let it saturate your soul so you can hear truths like your heart is deceptive don't trust it all the time Trust the Word of God over your heart. When, the, when your heart tells you to do something the Word of God says not to do, trust the Word of God over your heart. But it feels so right, Pastor. That's because your heart's deceptive. 
maybe the step towards consistency is just coming more regularly to church so you can receive the word of God, let it saturate your soul so you can become more like it. For some, it would look like taking the next step in community, joining a growth group, a discipleship quad, increasing your commitment towards authentic Christian relationships. You know, there's a, there's a friction in, in Christian relationships. The Bible describes it as iron sharpening iron. In that friction point, it gets sharper. Hey, brother, you're not supposed to be doing that. I love you enough to tell you. You don't have to listen to me. I'm just coming here as a brother. That's not godly. Maybe taking a step would be taking a step towards community. For some, it would look like a greater commitment to personal Bible study, prayer, making a bigger commitment to prioritize God in your everyday life. I know people who uh, have a long drive to work and you know, the first hour, I'm just gonna listen to the Bible. Let it saturate my soul, ruminate in it. Marinate yourselves in the word of God. For some, it would be taking the next step towards obedience in your faith. It's time to get baptized. Nerves aside, for all these people, it's a big church, a lot of people in the room. It's time to get baptized. It's time to honor the Lord with your body in obedience. Not a suggestion, obedience. I knew a guy in Arizona, a gal in Arizona who got baptized in her late 70s. I said, you know, it's never too late to obey God. For some, it would be, maybe it looks like a step of involvement, having a ministry that depends on you on Sundays. Might help you get here on Sundays. <laughs> I mean, people look at me and they think, man, it's so good, I serve all the time. I just know if I'm not serving, I'm not coming. <laughs> so I make sure they need me. So I make sure I get up in the morning and get here. But some will say, no, I give, so other people can serve, I give. When will the Lord rid you of that false dichotomy in your heart as if he only wants one portion of you? The challenge of the Christian life is to continue making headway towards consistency, to continue making headway towards consistency. Hear me clearly, we are not perfect, practically speaking. We are perfect, positionally speaking. Do you understand the difference? In my positional standing before God, I am perfect. God has made me perfect through the righteousness of the blood of Christ. Amen. Practically speaking, I still suffer from this disease called sin. And I need to strive after being holy as God is holy. This week doesn't look like last week. This year doesn't look like last year. This decade doesn't look like a decade ago. But hopefully I'm making progress towards Jesus. Our gospel is that we don't measure up, and that's clear to all of us. But the beautiful thing about our gospel is that God measures you up. He makes you whole. He brings righteousness onto your account. He transfers it on your account, and he requires nothing but the acceptance of his son. Why don't you bow your head, close your eyes with me as we contemplate this. We try to every week give an opportunity for somebody who may be new to this. If you're new and you don't quite understand, you're in a wonderful place. Don't feel overwhelmed. It's a lot to take in, but the take home for you is that consistency starts with Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. That's the beginning of the journey, the beginning of the best, fastest, awesome roller coaster ride of your life. Place your faith in him.
the rest will make sense as, as you go on. For the rest of us, how are you doing with consistency? How is it that we can praise God on Sunday morning and yet by Monday afternoon already be doing things? How are you doing with consistency? And what's the next step for you to stay away from stepping in a trap? Father, we love you and I thank you so much for very, 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 very real, (laughs) real examples in scriptures of who we are. You're not afraid of our failures. You weren't afraid of David's failures. You meet us where we're at. You make us into different human beings. You enter our bodies. The very nature of God is in us according to first, or is it second Peter? You come in and you take control. You're not scared of that. Help us to continue taking steps of consistency in our faith walk with you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor David. You know, Pastor David today was talking about really this process that we call sanctification sometimes, uh, where God transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's an ongoing process that requires us submitting to that process, allowing God to transform us by doing things like he was saying, showing up to church, getting into the Word of God, praying to Him for that transformation, getting with other believers where they can be part of that process with us as we grow in our discipleship. Um, maybe there's someone in here who hasn't even entered that process yet because you're not a Christian. And maybe today's the day where you surrender your life to the Lord uh, and depend upon Jesus for your salvation. What that looks like is just simply surrendering, saying, Lord, I need you. I'm not, I can't do this on my own. I can't work my way to the Lord. You need his grace and forgiveness that David talked about earlier. Um, And then you begin to pursue and follow him and allow him to transform you. That's what it means to be a Christian. If that's where you're at, and if you're here today visiting, either in person or online, and God is drawing you and you're ready to, to, to turn your life over to him, it's simply a matter of just saying yes to the Lord. And if that's what you want to do, please let us know. If you're in person with us, go to the welcome counter in the lobby or the tent outside the front doors on the right hand side. Let them know that, um, that what God's doing in your life. We want to pray for you. We want to give you a Bible if you don't have one. And if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps and fill out the little form and one of our uh, pastoral staff will get to you this week. All right, a lot of exciting stuff with missions. I'm looking forward to um, this year and going to Mexico. I always go on that trip. I'm hoping to go to Eswatini as well. Uh, there's a Romania trip this summer. Maybe God's put it on your heart to be part of that, whether it's part of the away team that's going to be going. If so, go talk to us at the booth and pick up some information and an application to attend. Um, but even if you're not part of the away team, you know, this is going to, uh, these trips cost some money and it's our church. We're going to rally together and pay for this and send them. So if you want to be part of the home team, you can be part of that by praying for these trips and by giving to help support them. So during the offering time, if you want to give towards this, just choose uh, community impact. If you're go- online in the drop down menu, choose that and it'll go towards it. Um, and if you've given towards the trip or if you're going to give towards the trip, go to the table, get a little sticker. We have little stickers of the maps for Romania, Mexico, and Eswatini and put it on there just to show that uh, uh, we're doing support. We want to see that map fill up as we raise the money to be able to go on these trips and send our people on these trips. All right. 
So with that, I don't know if they put the slide up where there's three ways to give, um, either going to our website uh, by texting to 84321, or if you want to write a check, there's an offering box in the lobby. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this Sunday, for this opportunity to come worship you together as a family of God. Uh, what an exciting month as we focus on the missions that Camp CC is going to be part of in 2024. Uh, may you bless this offering for the work in your kingdom, both here and throughout the world. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Camp CC. I'm Megan Terryberry, and I'm one of the worship leaders here at our church. If it's your first time here with us, we are so glad that you were here. Please go to the new at Camp CC tent outside to receive your $5 Starbucks gift card. If it's your second time, make sure you redeem your $10 in and out gift card at the tent as well. If you need a Bible, if you have questions about our church, if you decided to follow Jesus today, or if you need prayer, go to that tent so we can connect with you. Week of February 26th. Camarillo Community Church Christian Child Care Center, 7Cs, registration for the 2024-25 school year will take place for the members of CAMCC only. 7Cs is for children 18 months old to pre-kindergarten with after-school care for children kindergarten through fifth grade. For more info, email elaine at camcc.net. Friday, March 1st, 7 to 9 p.m., Fun Fest! Calling all middle schoolers, check this out. A mechanical bowl, carnival games, a dunk tank, giant slides, free food, and $300 worth of giveaways. Register online at camcc.net slash funfest. The cost is $10 per person. March 19th, worship night, 7 p.m. A time of prayer, scripture, and worship. You will not want to miss this powerful night. We will introduce some new songs and be playing some classics. Come expecting to encounter hope and transformation through Jesus. And bring your kids. Birth through pre-K, it's PJs and popcorn, so come in your pajamas. In K through five, it's inflatable fun night with inflatable obstacle courses, games, and popsicles. Grab some cards and start inviting your friends. For more info, contact Sam at camcc.net. Plus One. Plus One is our rally cry as a church for 2024 as we focus on one of our core values. In the lobby, you will notice a board where you can write the first name of a person that you want to begin praying for opportunities to invite to church this upcoming year. Once you invite them, place a check next to their name. If they show up, add a plus sign next to their name so we can celebrate as a church. Who will be your plus one? The Good Friday Experience, March 29th, 6 to 7 p.m. and March 31st, Resurrecting Hope Easter Gatherings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. Can you believe that Easter is in March? Be praying over your neighborhood. This is a great time to invite your plus one. If you need prayer today, we will have our prayer team up in front willing to pray for you at the conclusion of our gathering. CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. 
I'm Miranda Morris, and I'm part of the high school ministry here at Cam CC. Something that I learned today is if I have anger toward another person, I should just pray to God and give it to him because he's the perfect one and we aren't. Um, remember to add your plus one to the board outside and grab some coffee and donuts and think about who you want to invite to join you next week. Have a good Sunday.